Andrew, you're not Mark. Nope. But you know a lot of things about a lot of stuff. Oh, I, got, I, I at least fake it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I hesitated but, there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the one thing, so we've been talking about the virtues as an alternative to systems for the just use of money. We've been talking about this in certain, uh, it, it pertains to particular virtues and in other cases in terms of how people should be behaving in certain situations, whether or not they're saving for retirement, they're charging interest, and the like. Mm -hmm. Now, one really important conversation in all of this is whether or not it's okay to be wealthy. Right. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, because it, <laughs> okay. sound, it might sound like a lot of what we're saying has been uh, you know, condemning the rich, that, they sh mm -hmm. that they've built up society in a way that's so horrible and that they sh shouldn't exist. Right. And we would, you know, pretty much quickly come out and say, yes, they've built our society in, a, in a quite a bad way. Right, right, right. I mean, but yeah. we wouldn't say, and this is the important thing and what we want to talk about is like we wouldn't say that there should not be wealthy people. They have a really important role in society. So I know you've thought a lot about this, and that's what we're going to talk about. Excellent. Sounds cool. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, right off the bat, it seems like it's often the case that people, we have a hard time distinguishing between the the contemporary reality and the abstract principles, right? Mm -hmm. So, So it's like to say whether or not we should have rich people or whether or not it's okay to be wealthy, sometimes we mean... It seems like what we mean is is there, is the way we are rich now okay? And mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's not what that's not that's not the, that's not the right question. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It seems to me. No, I think that's right. And so there's there's a distinction that a lot of scholastics made between being rich and being wealthy, mm. and in the distinction that Schindler, DC Schindler, gets it as well, where he talks about um, having the appearance of wealth and actually being wealthy. And the and those two distinctions are synonymous. So the first, the rich or the appearance of wealth, um, is having a lot of money, and then for on both sides, being wealthy is having quite a number of things and primarily productive property. Gotcha. So those are the two ways that the Scholastics and DC Schindler. I like joining them together. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he would appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, put things together, and so. Um, maybe the way that we think about being rich or wealthy today would be having a great investment portfolio and you have a lot of money in right. that. And I, th I think probably that's more of maybe he has a big house, he goes out to fancy dinners and when, mm -hmm. and those are just kind of the, they get, when people say that he's rich, that's what comes to mind. Or even when he's wealthy, like probably a sports car is involved. Right. But right. it's not really thought about you know, what he does to make his money. It's more about the mere static fact of having it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess where, if you don't mind me just kind of starting the way I would think about this. Yeah, question, I want to hear about what you think about it. Which is maybe not the way that you guys have been doing it up to this point. But um, it seems to me the question of whether or not it's okay to be wealthy is just a way of saying is un, are, are unequal distributions of the control of material resources okay? Yeah. Is that justified? Yeah. Is that, is that, can that be just? Yeah. Right? Um, and not even just the unequal maybe, but even 
I mean, I, in order in order to discuss that, we have to discuss where property comes from, mm-hmm. what property is, mm-hmm. what it's for, mm-hmm. what the the difference between the use of property, the possession of property, right? Like these sorts of these sorts of questions, I think, all bear on that question of the justice of a unequal distribution. So, do, where do you want to start with the <clears throat> use of property? I guess I mean maybe I'll start where John Paul II starts in uh, in Laborum Exorcens. How about Sounds that? like Something a pretty like good that. place. <laughs> so it 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 seems like this is kind of a joke, I suppose, that Mark always makes fun of me for. That whenever anyone asks me a question, I always begin with "In the beginning." You know, <laughs> we start talking about Adam and Eve, but but I but really, I mean, that's that's where John Paul II begins. It's where Francis begins when he talks about these sorts of questions, and, and yeah. so I think it's worthwhile that man is created with a mission and that mission is is to till and to keep and that mm. mission is to subdue and to have dominion mm. over over nature right and that is man's doing of that is his working upon nature or the, the gifts of nature and when he does that he gives them a different character he elevates them into his rational plan right like his work is an elevation of non-rational beings into the life of reason, mm. right? Into the social life of, of mankind. And this is really the origin of property. This is, this is what Leo XIII says um, in his encyclicals. It's, it continues through, is that property is, its origin is in man's labor, mm-hmm. right? And so John Paul II talks about this as the priority of labor, mm-hmm. when, you know, that labor is what creates property. Right. But that doesn't really answer what property is, right? Because property, all that's saying is that the material things of the world change when they're brought up into the life of mankind. But then we have to ask, what is man working for? What's the end of Mm -hmm. man's work? Mm -hmm. And that end is the common good. And it's not just the common good of society, the human common good, but it is through the human common good, the common good of, in fact, of the universe, right? So, so, all of creation is to be worked upon by man, by rational minds, mm-hmm. which are to elevate those things into the life of the, the, the ordered life of rational society of men. And that is um, the end, I guess. Yeah. All right. So the ultimate end, of course, is, is the worship of God there. Um, so property then is a word we use in its most general definition for things that have been worked on by men. Hmm. Okay, so so it so you might say something like what's the definition of property? It's the ordering of natural things towards the common good of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> right? Through men by men. And this is quite a contrarian kind of heterodox understanding of property for our modern age. Yeah, I just but I do think it's the magisterial tradition and and, and the Thomistic tradition. Yeah, I would say no doubt it's the magisterial yeah. tradition. It also just makes the most sense. I mean if you're starting at first principles right. about how like obviously to look around and say, you know, this plot of land is mine, it doesn't make that much sense. And the huge apparatus that we've created to dis- to distinguish who owns this plot of land versus this plot of land, like where did that come from? You know, there's right. once you start to, you know, strip down the entire system that we've created, you're left just with nature. You're thinking, well, goodness me, there's obviously no state in the beginning, so 
Where does, right, where does right, this happen? Yeah. Where does it come so, from? So, I mean, the, the, that's where you're getting into positive law or human law, right? right. So, so this is where Thomas can say that, um, and the tradition can say that, that there's a common destination of all goods, which mm-hmm. is that common good, right? All things are to be ordered for the good of all. Right. And that's the common destination of goods. But that is not in competition then with the distribution of the possession and control over goods as a means towards the realization of that end. Okay, but mm-hmm. only as a means. So it's a, it's a, a contingent, um, rational uh, ordering of these things that are being worked on by men in such a way in order to achieve the end, mm-hmm. all right, which makes it contingent and variable. So the particular property laws, the particular way that society orders itself with regard to the fruit of labor mm-hmm. is, is historically and culturally contingent, which doesn't mean relativistic because some are more just than others or some right. are better at achieving the end than others. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So now what, when we say, when the tradition says that private property then is is an aspect of the natural law, we have to be very careful with that, mm-hmm. right? Because what we don't mean is that liberal understandings of private property are the natural law, mm-hmm. right? Which is the way a lot of American kind of conservative Catholic types will want to, um, uh, you know, want to uh, interpret those passages of the encyclicals. Right. So you, within John Locke, you have mm-hmm. this understanding of private property is based upon work. For him, mm-hmm. I mean, you cultivate the land, right, absolutely, you, yeah. you make enclosures. I mean, is that's what he's talking yeah, about, yeah. Adam and Eve doing right, in the right. garden. And once they've enclosed the garden, then they own it. Right. Um, what are other models of, and so that automatically sounds rather similar to what you're beginning to similar. articulate. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. Where, are the, where are the differences? So the biggest difference mm-hmm. would be that human labor itself is for the common good in the Catholic understanding and not for the individual good. Right, and so that it starts to remind me of this, the, the Catholic principle of the universal destination of all it, earthly it, goods. Right, right. Where we, there is almost a, um, within Locke's understanding, there's a more profound transformation in land than there is in the Catholic conception. So what do I mean by that? Within Locke's understanding, you, you cultivate the Garden of Eden, and then you can do whatever you want with it, yeah, and it's yeah, right. it's it's self-orienting. It's like you've you created it for yourself. Whereas after you've cultivated the Garden of Eden, let's just say, in in the Catholic tradition, it's then still to be used for everyone in a, in, a, in a in a certain regard for the family first, and then for all. Um, and then that's and then so ordering it like that, it still recognizes that all of creation is primal gift from God. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so mm-hmm. I, I agree completely. So what Locke, one of the things that Locke is doing is he's not, he's not showing us how private property is derived. Okay. So he, he assumes private property as an absolute before he begins. So the, when I work on something for him, my, it becomes a, in a sense, an aspect of me, mm-hmm. right? An extension of my body. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I can do whatever I want with it is because I own my body. So ownership is not right. something is not something yeah. that's being derived from some philosophical reflection. 
it's the prior and that sort of absolute gotcha. ownership, which is really that kind of Roman concept of like what it means to own something is the use and abuse of it. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. Right. According to your own. But no, but this is important because what Locke's doing is he's spacing. He's saying that there is an, uh, an understanding of, of private property right from the get go. And that's your body. It's a transcendental essentially. It's a trans- yeah. Like okay. to the extent that something exists, it's, it's okay. private property. So the way that so- you <laughs> own something outside of yourself is, looks perhaps similar to the Catholic uh, understanding, but it's but its seed being the human body is it's dramatically like, like, different. Like, yeah. So 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 human human beings in the Catholic understanding are working for the common good. Mm-hmm. And so they are working, they are ordered already as a society with different people doing different work according to their various talents, knowledge, virtues, their various skills, mm. and they're being coordinated in a hierarchical way in order to achieve the common good. Okay, I see where you're going so, here. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so since society is ordered in, in a hierarchical way as each mm-hmm. human being fulfilling his vocation in the service, in service to the whole, mm-hmm. the property or the, the interaction with the material world, which is integral to that common good, because mm-hmm. part of the human being the human society pursuing its common good is the elevation of the material world into that common good. Right. Though that property itself is distributed accordingly within the, the, the social hierarchy. You see what I'm saying? So, so because uh, the reason why I can accumulate private property is because I am have a certain task. I mean, it's just got kind of like vulgar about it or simple about it. Mm-hmm. I have a certain task to perform for society. Mm-hmm. And in order to perform that task well, I have to interact with or control certain aspects of the natural world, mm-hmm. which is a part of what I'm working upon. You're in charge of giving our community apples. So you're in control of the apple trees. Yes. To make okay. it really, 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 yeah. really, really simple. <laughs> right. And so because my vocation within society is mm-hmm. a rational one and a temporal one, mm-hmm. I have to be able to plan within my my means towards the fulfillment of my proximate end within, which is itself a part of the means of the fulfillment of the ultimate end, which is right. the common good. Yep. So because I have to be able to plan and I have to plan rationally, I have to be able to control the, p- the possession of the material goods in a way that persists through time so that I can order them for the fulfillment of my vocational end mm-hmm. within society. Mm-hmm. All right, this is the origins of some sort of a right to private property. If and, we're going to talk about rights, which... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> we feel the same way. <laughs> but within that, there's not a, a centralized control of, you know, you're the housemaid, you're the, you know, you work in the apple orchard. There's no central authority, obviously, about that. Anybody's listening to New Polity, they know this already. <laughs> but... Um, but I think it's important what's the alternative that it is decided in collaboration and cooperation with all of your neighbors. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's determined by justice, by right. by uh, uh, um, a living of justice, which is, right. of course, the ordering of the virtues towards the common good, mm-hmm. right? And so if everybody's doing that from within their vocation, every particular vocation includes a version of that hierarchical whole in the mode of that vocation, right? Right. Yeah. So the the guy the guy with the apple orchard 
has within his farmer vocation those offices that are higher than him in the hierarchy and those offices than, that are lower than him in the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And his office has something due to those and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But that it's sort of three-dimensional in the sense that the other vocations, their justice is oriented from a different direction into the same tranquility of order, yep. right? The same order of society. And so what they owe different, the same people from a different <laughs> vantage point is different. It's very right. complex. Yes. Right. But it's not that complex when you when you when you back it into the virtue, right? So the different individuals have different instantiations of the same virtue of justice, mm -hmm. and there that then you know if you want to think of it as like social justice would maybe be stepping back and looking at the totality of this network of involvement of justices. Right. Right. This is really important. <laughs> I think there's some modern misunderstandings of what virtue is, where it's just a good habit, you right. know, it, like you wake up in the morning and you like stretch or you make coffee without mm -hmm. thinking about it or whatever. And, and that's just couldn't be further from the truth. So that like, it does, this does not mean that if you are growing wheat, you just have cultivated the habit without thinking about it of, you know, cutting, you know, 10, 10 grains and, uh, or 10 bushels full and handing it over to a feudal Lord or whatever. Right. With that, you know, there's virtue is more of a disposition that understands within each interaction, what, what, it, what a person should actually do it mm -hmm. is this great marriage between one's will and one's right, mind, exactly. you know? Yeah. And so it's absolutely yeah. particular and it's almost, it's perhaps it's too much to say this, but it's it's almost it's it's a spontaneous good as derived by the person. No, no, yeah. I think that I think I think that's actually a fairly way, good way of thinking about mm -hmm. it. But but property then fits into this, right? Right. So I, as a father, say mm -hmm. the vocation of fatherhood, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have to part of that vocation um, is to provide the for the upbringing of my children. Right. Right. Both the material, the spiritual, the intellectual upbringing of my children. Mm -hmm. Now, in order for me to fulfill that, I have to control certain material resources or be able to control certain material resources and, and use them according to my own ordering of means towards that end. Yeah. Right. Because like you said, in my world, my that which is below me, we might say in the hierarchy, mm -hmm. I'm the Lord of, in a sense, right? Like I get to order it yeah. within, according to my reason. No, that's right, yeah. Right? And so the... I mean, just the, the initial <clears throat> command by God this, to have dominion, mm -hmm. that's lordship. To lordship. Be, to be a lord. But it's actually yeah. dominion's a, yeah. great, a great way of thinking mm -hmm. about it because do, what, what is normally translated as property in the medievals I mean, but moderns translating the medievals as yeah. property is more often than not the word dominion. Right. Yes. Right? Yeah. And dominion actually has a very different meaning because dominion isn't this Lockean or Roman law notion of property. Dominion carries with it the burden of yes. rule. Right. Right. Yes. And yeah. so you have dominion over this property, which like, for example, a medieval lord, say, who has dominion over an estate. Well, what it means to have dominion is not that you own the estate, but mm -hmm. that you're responsible for its management for the good of those who rely upon the estate. So they weren't just, you know, extracting. They didn't own the it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in the modern sense, in the liberal sense of owning. Yeah. So compare right? that to, uh, you know, somebody that owns their company. 
you know, they have tons of people working for them right. to produce the goods that they've set out to be produced. Right. And that they get paid a minimum wage or a, a set wage and that the profits of the company do not pertain to what the individual workers get. Oh, yeah. So 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 the guy who owns the pro owns the factory. Yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the workers within it. Yeah. So. This is this let's is say a second attack angles here. Let's just like go for it. You know, OK. <laughs> OK, so so. Is it OK to own a factory? <laughs> is that the, I mean, is that sort of like, well, I just want to we understand I, it's not even getting there yet. I just okay. want to understand the difference between the modern industrial yeah, ownership okay, of a factory. Sure, 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 sure. You know. So 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 the labor, you know, in a in the modern conventional liberal understanding mm -hmm. is um, is is hired labor. Right. Mm -hmm. So so in the, in the way that these people talk about it is more just private property exchanges. The laborer owns his labor. Yep. He is selling his labor um, to the capitalist who owns the factory and is buying his labor just the same way as he buys coal or metal or any other input. Yep. And then the, pro the products come out the other end and the owner of the factory owns them and can do whatever he wants with them. And he's doing that not he, – he, like any motives he has that, that are – related to the common good that are related to the good of his factory workers mm -hmm. are incidental to the intrinsic nature of this arrangement, right. which is Lockean private property. Yep. I right. own my body so I can sell its use. Right. You know, which is, you call labor. Right. To somebody. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they have purchased a certain number of hours or tasks yep. for my body. And at the end of it, they get whatever my body has produced. Right. It sounds kind of weird to phrase it like that, but... I don't know if it's helpful or not. People will tell us. No, I, I think yeah. I think I think it is. Um, so, what we change if we're going to look at this from a Catholic perspective is that the motivations behind this become not incidental but essential to the dynamics. Mm. Okay, so if you control a factory, mm -hmm. um, so let's say you have dominion over it, yeah, <laughs> then. That that can be can be justified. In fact, probably necessary that someone does if it, if it is being if there's two things going on. One is that the work that the whole complex is doing mm -hmm. is is integrated into this project for the common good as a whole. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the easiest way to think about that would be: What are you producing? Is what you're producing serving the common good? Yeah, uh, we can. Take okay. kind of an innocuous example. It's like you have a factory that's set up to produce chairs or pews. Okay. Oh, I like that. Pews. pews. Yeah. And so what are you going to do? Just flood the factory full of workers? I mean, you got to organize. They need to be told what to do, how they, how they do it, and right. to be organized. So, yeah. of course, there's going to be a natural hierarchy within the factory. Somebody right. that's directing everybody. And, 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 and controlling the, the material. Right, mm. like owning, we can talk about them owning it. That's okay. Like owning the factory, if mm. we, if we, as long as we're careful what we mean by it. I mean, so maybe it confuses it to say owning, but to have possession over it, and then so if you do, that gives you an immense amount of power. Is the point? Right. Right. Yeah. And so you have that power, but power, social power, is justified only in service of the common good. That's what makes it legitimate. Mm -hmm. All right. So you have that first 
question is, are what you're producing for the common good? But then the second question would be, is the 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 um, operation itself for the comp for the good of the workers? Mm-hmm. Right? Are they yeah. are they being are is their vocation so that everyone every every vocation in human society is is placed within hierarchies of power, mm-hmm. right? And the people who are higher, who have more power, have to um, provide structure and order that allows those who are lower to integrate into the total, the mm-hmm. whole, mm-hmm. right? That's the way the mechanism, that's the way the proper sort of subsidiarity hierarchical mechanism works. And so are you, if you, the factory owner, are doing, are you doing that? Like, are you facilitating mm-hmm. the workers' integration into the common good, which is not a alienation of their labor, right? And, and John, this is, sounds Marxist, but John Paul II is particularly important. It's mm-hmm. a particularly important idea for John Paul II that their labor themse- itself is them contributing to the common good, mm-hmm. right? So the, the experience yeah. of labor of working mm-hmm. is my vocational integration into into the common good. Right. This yeah, how do you say that so it doesn't sound marxist? Well, uh, and what it really is is Marx being catholic. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even so, even a blind donkey writes it walks in the right direction sometimes, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, well that and that's helpful because it, we have to understand work is a pre-lapsarian gift before the fall that's God right, we gave work. it to us. Yeah. So there's so it's, it is inherently good. It's just the question is whether or not it's directing it directed orientated towards the right end. Yeah. So yeah. one question, one easy way to do it that mm-hmm. we've often talked about this would be, and I'm not sure it's quite adequate, but it's a good place to start. Would be are the workers able to fulfill their vocations as fathers? Great question. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because the their work well, in, yeah. outside the home is in a sense for so they have they have obligations up and yep. then they have obligations down, mm-hmm. right? And they go out and serve what is higher mm-hmm. so that they can rule what is lower. Yeah. Wow. Right? Great. Yeah. I mean, so well so said. are they able to do that? Like so if if a system is set up in such a way that the fathers are not able to rule their families for now the common good of the family, mm-hmm. right? Which is integrating the family, which is lower than them, up into the whole order. Then the order is unjust, right? Right, because the the order, the allocation of property, then is in service of the totality of this hierarchical tranquility of order, right? Right, and so if that allocation of property has 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 made it not a tranquility of order but a, a, a hostile situation or one in which certain segments of the social body are not able to fulfill their vocations, mm-hmm. you're, that's, that's the evidence of there being an injustice. You're seeing injustice. So you're thinking about the factory <clears throat> owner giving the laborer you know, 401k and health benefits and that sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Sorry, prob- I can't even say that seriously. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, what I... It... it, it yeah, I mean, this is where we, we in the Catholic tradition we talk about like a living wage and all these kinds of yeah. things. But it, often that is kind of missing the overall theoretical structure because yeah. it starts sounding like minimum wage laws or starts sounding like kind of like 
checks on unlimited private property. Like it, yeah. it's okay to have unlimited private property as long as it's within these certain bounds. And we're gonna we're gonna morality just gives us sort of like little yeah. guardrails to put up. But that's not the that's not the vision. No, it's not like right. the Lockean vision where you own your body and can sell your labor, but people can't take too much advantage of that. So we're just going to have these right. guidelines. It's, no, it's a total orientation of understanding private property begins with that, right. you know, biblical declaration. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so individual possession mm -hmm. is always contingent upon and legitimized by mm -hmm. the common destination of goods. Yeah. All right. So the common destination of goods is the end. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the division of labor or the division of property is a means towards that end. Now, the way in which then property is divided is is variable. I mean, it can be a, a, any number of different systems or mechanisms or whatever mm -hmm. can come into place. But what they never are is some sort of absolute. And for a, for a Christian, the possession of property and the use of that property mm -hmm. are the, very insistent. We have to understand those things as not as like the possession doesn't mean unlimited use. Mm -hmm. The possession is for a type of use. And that type of use is service to the common good. Mm -hmm. Right. So to go back to our question, is it okay to be wealthy? Yes. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> like, like if what you mean by that is, is, is society the sort of complex entity that requires certain people to control more material resources than other people so that the common good can be achieved? Certainly, almost mm -hmm. certainly the case. I mean, I guess I can imagine an instantiation of the natural law in a human law where it's minimal, the, 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 the distribution, the, min the, the, the variance in the distribution of property control. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for me to imagine. I think that it's probably the case that a just society is inherently hierarchical mm -hmm. and that, in that includes control of property. Yeah. Right. That so more, sense, yeah. so fewer people control lots of property, and then as you go down the hierarchy, they control less and less property. Mm -hmm. That seems to be. But there's never going to be a property-less class. There shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. Children, right. I suppose. Well, okay. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> that's as far down <laughs> as you can get. Yeah. Um, but that's that's important. You're never going to. And find... even with children, it's not quite true, right? I oh, mean, this yeah, this, this fact this yeah. fact that yeah. that th this dynamic that I'm talking about is actually visible with children. Right. So like I'm the father of my house, which means everything that happens beneath it is is under my dominion. Right. <laughs> yeah. But now within that, we have a certain distribution of control over the material, mm. always in the service of the common good of the family. Right. So like your three year old has a blankie that she loves. Well, is it hers? It's like sort of. Yeah. But as soon as it as soon as it stops contributing to the common good. I am fully within my right to take that blanket away, mm -hmm. right? Or to tell her she has to share it mm -hmm. or to tell her, you know, that it's because her possession of that thing is a part of the tranquility of order that I have responsibility for. Right. Yeah. Right. And so now, so you think so about she's it. She's carrying it around. Yeah. Her little brother can't just steal it from her. Her older brother can't steal it from her. No, that's stealing. But if it's a movie night or something like that and everybody's on the couch and she's the only one with it, then you can say, hey, sh you know, share it with your brother. 
something yeah. like that. You know? Right. Yeah. Okay. No. I, I, and you can you can put limits on it without violating her rights. Mm-hmm. Right. The point. Yeah. The point is that they, they don't exist. <laughs> yeah. But um, in the same in the same sort of way. You know, and actually here we can maybe start talking about the way rights function with some degree of reasonableness. Because if you think about, like, I own my house, I guess. Let's just say I own mm-hmm. it and the bank's not involved. Um, okay. So it would seem really weird for me to walk into my home with my family, my wife, my kids, and say, well, I guess I'll let you all use my house tonight. Right. Right? Or I see you're sitting on my couch right? Um, I, I suppose I'll allow you to do that tonight. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. That's very, very weird. But yeah. if some, if my neighbor came over and started taking my couch out of my living room, I could say, Hey, that's my couch. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's not, that wouldn't be like an incorrect, uh, assertion of property rights. Right. Because the point, the point there is that I control this property for the people below me. Hmm. And that means I get to, if someone parallel or above me attempts to take that that away right and to to, to, there's an injustice going on there Hmm. right so there's an allocation so property rights go one direction and not the other direction right right yeah (laughs) there's a kind of a horizontal movement that's inappropriate with within this as well i mean that's what you're getting at yeah Mm -hmm. right absolutely so so you can't the the how to put this like the but but even even those property rights then aren't absolute because there are there is authorities above me who could say the way in which you are using that property that you control mm-hmm. is hurting your children not mm-hmm. helping them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right just like the same sort of way that I could take a blanket away right so like for my daughter right I could because she's she's hurting the family instead of serving the family. Mm-hmm. But if her brother steals it, I'd say, Hey, that's a violation of her rights. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm, you see what I'm getting. I at. totally do. Yeah. So it, there's a tranquility of order that has that because we have sin involved, there are forces that are trying to undermine that tranquility of order. And mm-hmm. there, I think we can start talking about like rights kind of over and against other other potential users of property mm-hmm. in, a, in with some coherence. Okay. You see what I you, Yeah, you see no, what I'm absolutely. Yeah, I'm so, trying to think of a, a way that, I mean, a really easy way to explain this is if you started to, like, beat your kids, mm-hmm. like, that's when somebody should come and take you away from Yeah, and you the, say, hey, this is my property. I can do whatever I want in my house. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, no, there's other people. Sorry, Mr. Murray Rothbart. That's not yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's other. Actually, he says that that's the one thing you can't do. The kids is, is yeah. be aggressive, but you don't have to feed them. So, yeah, you can sell them. <laughs> but um, right, and that's because there's an understanding that my property rights are are justified mm-hmm. for the children. Yeah, right. That's the reason why I have them. Okay, so that 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 just continues all the way up the sort of socioeconomic hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So. Does it make sense to have a class of people say that don't work themselves, mm-hmm. but are living off society's work? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we might think of it like having passive income, just passive income that right. is coming in. And a knee-jerk reaction might be no, right? They yeah. have to be serving the, the common good somehow. And 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 the socialists, of course, would say no, absolutely not. Um, you know, the, the any any time uh, any time work 
is the, the wealth that's produced through work is siphoned off to other people. That's an injustice. Um, but I, I don't think that's right, right? So I think, I think it, can be, it can be justified. In fact, it's probably required to have, um, uh, to achieve the common good because there are goods that society needs that are not directly material, right? So, so high culture, Mm-hmm. You know, literature, mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. art, mm-hmm. these sorts of things are, if, if they are made, uh, if they are made material, they become degraded. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So one thing that we, we've, Mark and I have talked about is, is the incommensurability of goods. Mm-hmm. So this idea that it is completely artificial and somehow really strange to say that that water bottle is 1099 in a certain regard. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe to use a better example, when Jesus says that, uh, can you not buy five sparrows for two pennies? Right. Um, and he says, but not one of these falls to the ground without the, without the father's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. knowing. He, what he's making an appeal to there is that there is certainly this kind of use value in terms of a you know a sacrifice or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you maybe that's too crass, but then there's an exchange value, which is the you know the dollar amount. But what what Christ is getting at there is that well, there's actually like a dignity value that is most proper and it's perfectly objective because it's how God sees them, and we we aren't there. We're not right. objective you know, viewers as God mm-hmm. is, but it, there is something that we, some ontological, uh, something that's imp- un- ontologically improper if we only ever think of the world through those exchange value lenses. Right. You know, you might right. even say that it's, you've translated all of the world into univ- univocal being, which is like yeah. a heresy of the church. Yeah, right. I'm sure that. everybody Let's really likes that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, within this understanding, there's um, there is something kind of I- inherently improper within the way that we exchange, and there's not going to be the same sort of exchange in heaven. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's it's probably fair enough to say that there's not going to be money in heaven. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's perhaps an argument for another day. But but the more that we enter into this proper view of the economy as a whole and the way that society is laid out and ordered, mm-hmm. the, the more that's going to be a kind of a taste of heaven. Right. And so when you're, you're in a certain sense, you're going to have a distribution of labors that doesn't involve perfect uh, monetary exchange. Right. Yeah. In fact, I, I think in the ideal, it would just be a straight gift gift economy yeah. where, where we don't even keep track of such things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, even again, like a family. Yeah. Like a family. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in this sort of world in which we live, there are that those, those gifts mm-hmm. can sometimes be compelled. <laughs> so what I'm saying is yeah. that, that society for the common good of society and so of the cosmos, it's it's important that we have these these goods that there are people who are working on certain types of goods that people may not be inclined to support through gift gift giving say mm. or it would be difficult to to have them do that and so systems can be built by people who have care for the community at a higher level right in order to ensure that those goods are being are occurring, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not then necessarily wrong 
for people to have wealth mm -hmm. that they live off of mm -hmm. and that is being even supplemented by other people's work mm -hmm. if that is for what they're contributing to the common good. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is not Jeff Bezos. Absolutely not. Right. This, this, isn't, is, this, isn't, this isn't the construction of a mechanism that's a brilliant way of scraping the value off every transaction in the world. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> that's a great summary of Amazon. Yeah, yeah exactly. So no, this, is, this is, has to be, it has to be for, like sincerely for the common good. Now, nothing's ever perfect, right? So every, any sort of system that's built, so social system to a certain extent relies upon averages and, and that sort of yeah, thing, which is too bad. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but it is the case. Yeah. And so, you know, a system in which there is a great deal of work going on and that the allocation, there's a, a mechanism by which the, the work, the value, the property that's being produced, that some of it is going to places that even the people who are producing it aren't choosing, mm -hmm. right? Um, that can be justified and, and be important. In fact, it's probably necessary. So, so let's, but this is, and this is, you know, the, the popes have talked about this and the difference between the individual aspect of work and the social aspect of work, right. for example. Yeah. That you're not just working for yourself and your own vocation, yeah. but you're working for society as a whole. Yeah. Quadrigissimo Milano. I mean, this really, and there's, comes there's yeah. authorities that are higher than you that are tasked with determining that social part of it. Yeah. So it's not just up to you, right? So I want to I want to mm -hmm. kind of lay this out as as a convincing argument before a sound argument okay. because people might be hearing this and thinking, "Gosh, this sounds like scary, almost planned economy communism." Oh, no, 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 you know, no, and obviously it's not. And yeah, yeah. Um, that's like the worst idea. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is <laughs> like the worst idea. But I just want to make sure that it's uh, to give an example that's pretty clear. So, feudal lords. Yeah. We don't have to kind of go into the nitty gritty of all this, but this is what happened where there was a custom that emerged amongst the peasants mm -hmm. who did have productive property, land. Mm -hmm. They uh, they had a, uh, a certain uh, amount of goods that they cultivated or created that they were to give to the feudal lord every mm -hmm. month. Sure. Right? Yeah. Okay, this is, this is a really important thing, though. It wasn't a tax, and they called it in the literature an offering. Right. So all, all of a sudden, we're either at kind of a nominalist distinction, where it's just you put a different name on it, yeah. or it's actual. And I want to explore the actual option because, and I think that there's a good case to be made there, because then there's, even though the feudal lords are receiving these goods from the peasants, it's just as you described where he has serious responsibilities for them. Yeah, very, very serious responsibilities. Right. So, so the, most, the most direct and obvious is protection, mm -hmm. you know, physical protection, military yep. protection. Um, it's not the peasants that are risking their lives in battle. It's the lords. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in, depending where we are, it's so variable. But, but, but basically, yes, free men, yeah. only free men, propertyed free men fight. Right, yes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to be able to arm yourself and show up. And yeah, I mean, no, really. <laughs> no, I mean, no, because there was no standing army. That's apparently. right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So only people who were capable of that, um, uh, yeah, those those who weren't capable of it didn't fight. But there, it's it's also they gave they they um, 
perform justice. So what we what we would think of as like criminal law enforcement, um, being a judge, right? Mm-hmm. So those disputes among the peasantry, they would be the judge. That so they they were they were the church. So I mean, this is something that people for some reason, because modern yeah. historians sort of insanely divide the clergy from the laity. I mean, it really is, the more I read medievalists, the more I'm just absolutely baffled by I it. I know, me too. Because yeah. it's it's just, it's like, who is the church, the clergy? And it's like, well, the clergy are the nobles, <laughs> right? Like, it's just their brothers. Okay, so let's explain so, this. So, so, for, so already there's there's kind of a false dichotomy between like the, the clergy and the lady and the lady's not actually the church. Right. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, they're all baptized. They're all fulfilling their vocation in one way or another. And yeah. they all are oriented at getting to heaven. Right. You know, obviously there's tons of sinners in the mix and all the yeah, rest. Right. But it's like claiming that you and I are not part of the church as laymen today. That's weird. It's just so strange. But then there's another form of this insanity that is just jaw-dropping, and that's that the friars were joining the Franciscans, joining the Dominicans, uh, serving under the bishop um, as, as priests as well. They were primarily coming out of the noble classes. That's right. Not the peasants. That's right. You had to be... You have that... You... If you were a peasant, you'd have to get an exception to be ordained. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I mean, if you were servile, essentially, yeah, most most okay. definitely, right. Mm-hmm. So if you were bound to the land, you couldn't be ordained. So, um, so but, this is crazy on quite a number of fronts. But the first <laughs> front is that we have to understand that the noble, the one who's getting all this wealth that somebody might look at and, and have many times said it's wealth without work that's unjust right we have to understand first not only are they the ones primarily that are giving their lives in battle but they're also the ones who are giving their lives to, to the, monasteries yeah, right. and so to understand and their wealth and so their they're wealth. the ones endowing the monasteries they're the ones building the monasteries they're the ones to so they it's like there's a certain accumulation mm-hmm. sure that's going on from the work of the peasantry there's a certain accumulation but that accumulation then has to serve this this common good, right? Which includes endowing the church and manning the church and, you know. One of these things that I'm just so amazed by is that the idea of living your life as a feudal lord or living your life as a Franciscan friar with no shoes for the rest of your life were so interchangeable. Like it happened, like for these people, they they lived in such a way, again, tons of sinners to throw into the mix. But the fact that this happened, you know, as a majority for hundreds of years. Well, and it, it actually, it actually, the, the fact that yeah. they are so willing to leave the feudal yeah. estate and say, no, I'm actually just going to wear a one tunic, the same tunic for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. shows a, reveals a real humility in them and a, uh, you know, a, a willingness to be separated from material wealth. Right. That does, that does not mark the type of ab- absolutist wealthy owners of today. That's, that is, 100% correct. And you can see this most dramatically in probably in something like the Crusades, mm-hmm. you know, or something like even the the Knights Templar or something, right. where yeah. they're actually both, they're back actually merging the vocations of the nobility, the lay nobility, mm-hmm. and, and the religious nobility yeah. into one. It's amazing. Right? Um, yeah, so, you know, there's, there's different, there's different ways of living, different habits, different sort of instantiations of the virtues and the different ways of life, but chivalry or the, the sort of code of knighthood is a very, very rigorous quasi-religious 
code of life, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the, the transfer between the two is not as far as I think people would think. But yeah. the, the, the idea, though, is that, and this is the case, is that those nobles had a very profound sense of duty and obligation to the society as a whole. And, um, and and very aware that their their privilege was for that, mm-hmm. right? And now, the that's and that's the reason why their corruption is so horrible, yeah. right? Because because when the powerful grow corrupt, who who can check them? Right, right. Like mm-hmm. there there it becomes a, it becomes there's not an easy regulation like relegatory process for the powerful being corrupt. Which which as you move forward into the the late Middle Ages and then into the early modern period, mm-hmm. the aristocracy becomes just an aristocracy, right? Basically, just uh, increasingly a, a, just a sort of exploitive, um, you know, basically the way Marx described them. Well, because the only person, <laughs> that, well, the only person that you had in, to check them in the Middle Ages were their brothers who were monks. Yeah, or, yeah. or bishops. Yeah, right. You know, or bishops, and yeah. they were like literally their brothers. Right. So, yeah. was, and yeah. there's nobody. Correction. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's nobody that can correct you. Yeah, you like your brother can. Yeah. <laughs> but but once those nobles suppressed the church, right, put that beneath them, and put them to beneath them. Yeah. The, all of a sudden, the the temporal powers were above the spiritual powers. Right. Exactly. Then the aristocracy does come. And, yeah, and, and, marks, then it, and then it yeah. becomes corrupt, and it becomes exploitive, and it becomes parasitical upon the peasantry, and it becomes unjust. Yep, and and which is the reason why the French Revolution happens. Okay, so right? I, <laughs> so, so but to return to this, I love. I mean, I I just love this description because it really builds, I think, a con- a convincing narrative of the more theoretical idea that you were talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, and and I think for us moderns who are trying to escape into a more um, Christian paradigm, we hear the kind of the easy tr- transition points are hearing that the nobles were the ones that sacrificed their lives and sacrificed their wallets mm-hmm. um, for, for the good of others. But there's something that's so important and so underestimated, I think, and that's the life of culture that they gifted yeah. Society. I mean, that's, and people don't associate them because, again, the historians are so blinded. I don't understand that they're like, oh, they weren't even really literate or blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but they were also all the monks <laughs> and the bishops <laughs> and the entire, the universities, the whole intellectual and cultural establishment of, of Christendom was that class, mm-hmm. right? And, and also, and even the church itself had kind of occupied that position in society vis-a-vis the, the peasantry, mm-hmm. right? So so the peasantry and the townspeople were working and a certain percentage of their, a certain amount of their work was going directly to the ecclesiastical institutions, right? Yeah. And then also to the nobles. And, but it, so that's one cultural uh, operation, right? One cultural sort of system. So when I talk about systems, we don't mean... We don't mean a, like a designed um, system. We mean a, a, a an actual social operation, right? Like yeah, a way of being, just a form. A, yeah, just a the way that form. society was ordered. Yeah. you know, yeah. it's like going about yeah. its business almost. You might yeah, say, right, yeah, yeah, right, right. So yeah, the cultural, the the think of the theological, the spiritual. Um, I mean, we, we could be so shallow here, but I mean, think of the prayers. 
Yeah. Think of the spiritual goods. Think of the merit, the penance that was being done. So this is really important because you've heard me complain a lot about how I don't think that there's a proper way in which academic thought can get trickled down to the, <laughs> to the laity. And it's something that uh, annoys me quite a bit about my, you know, alma mater and such that it, we seem to be a bubble mm-hmm. and our thinking just never got out to uh, change the way that society was re- reformed and uh, nobody really knew what we were writing, you know, amongst the average non-academics. Right. And, you know, obviously this is like why we in part founded New Polities to help get word out. Yeah. Um, but this was one uh, the other thing that I just found, I find so beautiful about the way that the nobles did arrange everything is that through the monasteries, the liturgy, through liturgical feasts, which happened like every other week, (laughs) there was a way in which that cultural contemplation was indeed trickling down and actively changing the life. They had a mechanism for the trickle down. absolutely. And then the only way that, only mechanism that we have for trickling down is new positive law. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. Yeah, no, they they understood, they understood um, directly that the privilege, the wealth, the ability to study, the, 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 that all of that had to be for the good of the whole. And then, I mean, this is, you, you know, I, I give examples are things like the university system being founded mm-hmm. for the, the, the only reason was to train preachers so that yes. the learning that was being done so that those preachers could explain the gospel and translate it into the mode of living for different orders of society. How does a peasant become a saint? How does a merchant become a saint? How does, you know, like these were the questions that moral theology was invented to, to uh, explicate. Dude, right? that is not the way universities operate. No, today. I mean, <laughs> that, that was what they were for. Yeah. And so in the high middle ages, yeah, that's what this, that's what this, this, this class is doing, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I'm going to bring it back to to maybe bring we start bringing yeah, it back to yeah, today. Please, yeah. So we don't we need wealth and we need the we need people to control wealth who have that burden of responsibility mm-hmm. so that those goods for society can be provided that um in a way that doesn't require the people who need them to know they need them. Yeah. Right. So it's it's you can't you can't imagine a system where it's like, well, we need the disobedient children to ask for discipline. Do you see what you you know? It's like, or or they need to voluntarily give their gifts so that they can be disciplined. It's like, well, no. Peop, there has to be there has to be there has to be a hierarchy of care, and that and which is also a hierarchy of power, which is also a hierarchy of of property distribution. Mm-hmm. Um. And now that's very dangerous because as soon as those hierarchies become corrupt, they become the worst thing, right? right? Because yeah. now they're powerful, mm-hmm. right? And that's the drive sort of like dumbing down and flattening and democratization is sort of a, a despair strategy, mm-hmm. right? It's like we, we don't have hope and so we're going to like reduce damage. <laughs> you know, so you, you, Seriously, yeah. I mean, as much as we can. But um, so so wealth, I mean, I think that what people today need to do very simply is ask themselves, is the wealth that I control, am I using it? I have possession of it. Am I using it for the common good? Is that what it's for? Yeah. 
And in a lot of ways, it's like a really simple sort of moral question, right? Like, is it for me to do whatever I want? Hmm. It's like, well, that's the definition of tyranny. <laughs> I mean, that's like the Aristotelian definition of tyranny. Yeah. Right? Is. To use the labor of others for your own good. Yep. Right? No, that, everybody's that, defined it that way. In all, that like is the, entire, the classical definition. Yeah, yeah. And, to, and to arrange the labor of others for their good mm -hmm. and, for the com and therefore for the common good is the definition of political rule or, yeah. or, or kingly rule. Kingly rule. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it, it, in both cases, there's someone who has power, mm -hmm. including wealth, mm -hmm. right? That, so we're not, it's not some sort of quasi-socialist egalitarianism here. Yeah. Right, like there's none of that going. I mean, that, that's that's a mistake. It's um, it's really just about understanding, I guess, in a sense, the burden mm -hmm. that power carries with it, including mm -hmm. the power that wealth gives you. Yeah, right? yeah. I think the, again, the family's the greatest microcosm of of what you're talking about right. in a larger, yeah, uh, you know, market economy, as it were. Is that if if you are holding something. For yourself, I mean, hard to even say this, but like, so that your kid is not being fed well, mm -hmm. it's like, well, that is diabolical. That's right. monstrous. Right. Same thing in society. Yeah. 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 So you, you and you yeah. and you have to be, you know, like part of the common good. And this is where I don't want to get. I don't want to like start giving people cop outs, but but part of the common good is don't your give it to is your own good. <laughs> yeah. Right, like in order for me to satisfy my vocation, mm -hmm. I have to like get enough sleep, which is a struggle. <laughs> I have to, you know, eat well. Mm -hmm. I have to like my health, you know. So there's 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 amount an amount of, you know, corresponding responsibility burden to caring for your own goods so that you can care for others. Mm -hmm. So it's not we don't want to say and there's a, there's even so in the tradition there's a, there's often been the the assertion that people can hold themselves in their position right um in society and that that's a just use of their wealth mm -hmm. but that is predicated upon that position in society being just right yeah that's right? really important i mean th this has even made its way into the catechism i first read it in um gosh i can't remember which encyclical it was in, in from pope leo but it made its way into the catechism saying that after a, a man and his family are have their needs taken care of then their profits go to the to the common good. Yeah, well, it, it, ha it has to be. Yeah, I mean, this is and and the common good can be com you can be complex about this. Yeah, right. It's not it's not that it doesn't have to be that I just give it all away, although giving the habits of giving away are essential, which is but but it could be that I have talent. I could say to myself, I have talents. I am good at at organizing things. Mm -hmm. I am good at seeing what people need and figuring out how to build it, and so. I am the way I'm going to give to society is I'm going to build uh, entities, economic yeah. entities, yep. and I'm going to run them, which means owning them, yep. right? And I'm going to, do, and and that I'm going to, I have a, like a, a even an ambition in doing that. Yeah, that itself is not like somehow an unjust impulse. Mm -hmm. That actually could be very much what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Like that, your your calling in life is to do that for society. Yep. And so you know, even what what can what can in some ways look like the building of a corporate empire could in fact be your service to the common good, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a totally possible scenario, likely. Yeah. 
Well, right. we, we use Mondragon in Spain as, an, right. as a great example of yeah. that. I mean, it's, there's, but again, there's kind of um, prudential checks on that because while this is perfectly correct theoretically, mm -hmm. there's sin that seeps in and that, that we need to safeguard ourselves from it. And so there's almost, a, in a sense, you have these safeguards to keep from the occasion of sin. So what's an example? The highest paid employee, the CEO, cannot make more than nine times the amount right. than yeah, the yeah. janitor, like stuff like that, you know? And so there's, again, like prudential occasions for that. But the idea of expanding and controlling for the sake of others, gosh, we just need that. Right. And I think today we need more sacrificial Christian entrepreneurs in this mm -hmm. in this way. We're actually building real things that get people that give people not just jobs, but dignified work right. that will be able to take care, that will allow them to take care of their, their mm -hmm. family and give them the freedom to, to do that well. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, just, in, and we need kind of, so many people are only ever giving or investing in uh, kind of risk-free investments or secular, you know, investments that really have, they'll say, out of the profits, I'll give to others, but we need real sacrificial entrepreneurs. Yeah, I right. Think, and, I, yeah. and I think that some of the stuff that you and Mark have been talking about yeah. is really key to that because mm -hmm. you have to form the virtues of of giving of uh, uh, in like to actually have those virtues. Mm -hmm. And then the the project of building or of wealth accumulation yeah. can, is properly ordered. Yes. Yeah. Right. W without those virtues, and you just say, "Oh, I'll deal with that later," <laughs> or, or you know, it's uh, it's okay because I give ten percent of my profit. I mean, imagine if people did that. Yeah. To to the church or something. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I can do whatever I want with the rest. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that, that's not virtue. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. No, absolutely. Right. That yeah. that's that's just that's just uh, assuaging your conscience. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome Andrew thank you this is a fabulous conversation I think a lot of people will be relieved to know that they can be wealthy if they, they have a it. lot of they have if they a do it right yeah. <laughs> if they do it right I mean I mean, I don't know if I, I don't no I, I won't read it but you know there's that passage in, in Rerum Navarum where Leo the 13th takes it right at the wealthy about having to answer having, well, re read it and we'll end with that God. Uh, let's see if I have it. Where is it? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is worthwhile. Um, uh, where is it? Oh, here we are. Okay. You want me to read this? I do. Okay. This is I'm right. kind of bracing myself, but yeah. <clears throat> Therefore, those who those whom fortune favors are warned that riches do not bring freedom from sorrow and are of no avail for eternal happiness, but rather are obstacles that the rich should tremble at the threatenings of Jesus Christ, threatenings so unwanted in the mouth of our Lord, and that a most strict account must be given to the supreme judge for all we possess. The chief and most excellent rule for the right use of money is one the heathen philosophers hinted at, but which the church has traced out clearly and has not only made known to men's minds, but has impressed upon their lives. It rests on the principle that it is one thing to have a right to the possession of money and another to have a right to, the use, to use money as one wills. Private ownership, as we have seen, is the natural right of man. And to exercise that right, especially as members of society, is not only lawful but absolutely necessary. It is lawful, says St. Thomas Aquinas, for a man to hold private property. And it is also necessary for the carrying out of human existence. That's his quote. But if the question be asked, how must one's possessions be used? 
the church replies without hesitation in the words of the same holy doctor, quote, man should not consider his material possessions his own, but as common to all, so as to share them without hesitation when others are in need. Whence the apostle, wait, I'm going to skip down. Um, no, that's, that's, that, that's basically it. <laughs> so it, keeps, it gets more complicated there. But I, yeah, I, I, I often read that to my classes just so they understand, I, I think particularly the part that the rich should tremble at the Jesus threatenings Christ. of Jesus Christ yeah. is something to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah, well, may God bless us as we do. <laughs> Thanks. Like That's yeah. all. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew.